0: With that, um, we will re begin the uh, the hearing. We have some outstanding witnesses today. Thank you for bearing with us. I'd like to uh, to again uh, recognize Mr. Stuart Force, uh, who's been in our office. Uh, Taylor Force's father, who's with us. Um, I know you, your wife was unable to be here, but has been here on many occasions. Taylor, a West Point graduate, veteran of wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and an MBA student at Vanderbilt University, was killed over a year ago by a Palestinian terrorist while in Tel Aviv studying entrepreneurship. Mr. Force, uh, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for the work you've done in the hope that other parents will not have to suffer the grief that you and your wife share. We are deeply sorry for your loss. Again, uh, I want to thank Senator Graham for his work, and I think he stated well, and I don't need to to restate the reason for this legislation and why we're having this hearing today. Um, The Palestinian Authority, as a government, has created a system in law that pays Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails more money if they have a longer sentence. I, I read an affidavit that shared testimony by prisoners clearly made it made it clear that they attempted to commit crimes that were more heinous to serve more time so that they would get more money for their family. The laws don't stop there but depending on the length of sentence the PA will pay for tuition, health care, and even offer government positions to related prisoners. For example, if you're a Palestinian sentenced to two years in an Israeli jail for committing violence or acts of terrorism, you get paid 400 a month. If you get sentenced to 30 years, you get 3500 a month. If you serve five years or more and are released, you get a lifetime salary. Rather than welfare, this is a Palestinian Authority-sponsored program that incentivizes terrorism. The problem we faced is that the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian people also benefit from U.S. economic assistance, assistance that has helped millions of people and has long been supported by the Israeli government. But assistance is money, and money is fungible, and although we don't provide direct budgetary assistance to the PA, we do pay their debts. We also pay for a range of projects that the PA would otherwise fund themselves. That money frees up resources that are being used to incentivize terrorism. The PA has an easy option to stop compensating terrorists and their families. I believe they haven't taken that path because from the Palestinian perspective, these payments recognize an individual's commitment to resistance. But when a government recognizes terrorism as a valid form of political resistance, how can they possibly be ready for peace? So we face a fairly basic question. Should U.S. taxpayers support a government that incentivizes terrorism? I believe the answer is no. Understanding how we effectively eliminate financial support for the PA by tailoring our assistance is a little harder, and we're gonna have testimony to that end today. I hope our witnesses can help us consider different options to ensure assistance that goes directly to the Palestinian people does not also benefit their government. So again, I want to thank Mr. Force, Senator Graham, and our outstanding witnesses for being with us today. I look forward to your testimony and responses to questions. And with that, uh, my friend, the ranking member, Senator Cardin.
1: Well, Mr. Chairman, thank you for convening this hearing. Uh, Thank you for your opening statement, which I completely concur in. I want to thank Senator Graham uh, for his passion on this issue and I concur in his statement. To Mr. Force, our deepest condolences. Your son served this nation with great distinction. It's a tragedy that we all share. We know that as a father, how it hits you the rest of your life. The brutal death at the hands of terrorists while your son was studying in Israel is unacceptable. And we will take action. The Palestinian system of prisoner and terrorist payment must end, must end. It's an incitement to violence. President Trump helped convene a meeting in Saudi Arabia to stop the financing of terrorism. Well, what the Palestinian Authority is doing is financing terrorism. That must end and the United States must use every opportunity to bring that to an end. I agree with the chairman. The U.S. economic assistance to the Palestinian people is very important. It helps provide economic stability and deals with humanitarian needs. I remember many years ago a meeting with the former Prime Minister Perez in Israel as he talked about his vision of Israel security with two people living side-by-side in peace, the Palestinians and the Israelis. And he talked about a key ingredient is the economic future for the Palestinian people and that the United States needs to be engaged with Israel in making that a reality. That is part of the future for the Palestinians and Israelis. We understand that. We get that. So Congress in the past has taken steps to make sure that our programs, uh, that much of the funds go directly to Israeli creditors, much of the funds go directly to Israeli ministries that do work within the Palestinian area. But the chairman's absolutely right. Monies that are fungible, and we have to use every opportunity we can to make it clear to Mr. Abbas that we're not gonna be supporting indirectly, directly or any sort of way, these payments that go to prisoners and, and terrorists. We must make it clear that families of terrorists are not to be rewarded for their terrorist activities in their family. That must end. So I agree, Mr. Chairman, we must use every opportunity we can to make this a reality that the United States moves forward in ending these payments. And I also agree with you. We have two very, very distinguished witnesses with us, the two individuals who have served this nation with, with great distinction, who understand the Middle East and are students of these issues and can help us. I do want to express one disappointment, if I might. It'd been nice to have an administration witness here so that we could get the views of the administration on this important subject. And I hope that opportunity will present itself as we work our way through legislation, which I also hope will receive overwhelming support with our colleagues.
0: I will say not having the administration involved does allow us to move legislation much more quickly. So uh, I don't know. So uh, there, is, there is a plus. I wouldn't be complaining uh, uh, too much. Our first witness is the Honorable Elliot Abrams from the Council on Foreign Relations. Mr. Abrams previously served as Deputy National Secret- uh, Security Advisor to President Bush. Uh, we all respect and admire you and thank you for being here. Our second witness is the Honorable Dan Shapiro from the Institute for National Security Studies. Mr. Shapiro previously served as our ambassador to Israel. Uh, we again thank you and respect you and appreciate you being here. And with that, if y'all would just begin in the order introduced. I know you've been here many, many times. So uh, If you could take about five minutes to summarize, we'd appreciate it. And then we'll look forward to questions. Go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman and uh, members of the committee, and thank you for the honor of inviting me here today. What's the, uh, what is the problem that led to the introduction of this act into this hearing? It's the murder of Taylor Force and the Palestinian practice of making payments to individuals convicted of acts of terror or their families and survivors in accordance with the severity of their acts. And the predictable effect is to reward and incentivize acts of terror. And the length of sentences reflects, of course, the gravity of the crimes committed. So the more harm you do, the more money you and your family get. These are not welfare payments. I had hoped that in the face of this controversy, the uh, prospect of uh, reducing American assistance, the Palestinian leadership under President Abbas would adopt a system of welfare payments. So that would be payments based on the number of dependents, number of children, for example. I think a system like that would be acceptable to us. Uh, Prisoners in the United States, no matter how terrible their crimes, uh, do not find that their families are ineligible for Medicaid or welfare payments or food stamps. But the Palestinian leadership thus far has rejected that approach. So that escape route from this problem is not open. Uh, cutting all the funds but allowing 100% national security waiver, I think, um, achieves almost nothing. You'd be handing the problem to the executive, you'd get 100% waiver, probably, uh, and you would not have any impact on this practice of paying terrorists for their acts. Uh, the idea of looking the other way, because Palestinians will suffer from the aid cut, I think, again, uh, just ignores the problem. Uh, this notion that, well, we can't do this because the, there'll be disorder in the West Bank or the Palestinian Authority would collapse, I think, you know, it's a reasonable concern, but it's not going to happen. They have a $4 billion GDP. Uh, they get money from tax revenues that are turned over to them. There are other foreign aid donors. They're not going to collapse. So all these concerns don't outweigh the logic behind the Taylor Force Act. As long As the Palestinian Authority is, in effect, rewarding terror, we need to make our views, our repugnance, known, and that means the assistance program's got to reflect it. How? Since the Hamas victory we have, USAID has divided uh, our aid into two categories, aid to the PA, uh, aid to other recipients like NGOs, municipalities. And I do think that aid that goes to the PA uh, should now stop Um, There may be some good programs there, um, but money's fungible, as you've both uh, said, uh, Mr. Chairman, Senator Cardin, so those payments have got to stop now. That would cut the assistance maybe in half, Um, but there's a context here. You've got tremendous pressure on the foreign aid budget. There are a lot of ways that foreign assistance could be used for uh, excellent programs elsewhere. Why not cut every cent right now, today? it would have greater impact but i think that would directly affect programs that um, benefit uh, people unrelated to the palestinian authority and those payments for terrorism i think by cutting off the payments the direct payments now you'd be sending a very clear message to the palestinian leadership that it's this is intolerable and the other aid is going to be cut off at some point in the future unless they address this problem and it gives them a little bit of a a chance to do that, and one can hope that once this legislation is passed, they'll do that. There's one other issue I'd like to just mention, and that is uh, some of this money actually goes to Augusta Victoria Hospital in Jerusalem. Uh, It's an excellent, venerable institution in Jerusalem, started by the Lutheran Church, Um, and I do think that I'd make an exception for that. Uh, I I wouldn't, I think, cut that institution off uh, right away. I don't think we should be under the illusion that we're gonna solve this problem overnight. Uh, We've heard President Abbas say he was not going to change this, but I think that once this legislation passes, they may change their minds. And even if they don't, I think this legislation's got to be passed. We've got to be sure, as you've said, and as Senator Graham said, that aid money does not even indirectly sustain the current system. I'd say that's a matter of principle, whether the Palestinians like it and, frankly, whether the Israelis like it. It's our assistance money. I wish we'd done this years ago, including the time I served in government. Uh, We may have had the excuse then that we weren't all clear on the facts and the implications and the reverberations, and they're complex. But the moral point is crystal clear, and now is the time to act. Thank you for permitting me to testify today.
0: Thank you so much. Ambassador. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Cardin,
3: members of the committee, thank you also uh, for the opportunity to appear. And I know we've submitted written statements, which I hope will be made part of the record. Uh, I want to ex- begin by expressing my strong support for the goals of this legislation, as Senator Graham has outlined them and, and you have reiterated. Uh, and uh, I want to also uh, add my condolences to Mr. Forrest and, and the Force family. Uh, Taylor Force was murdered about a mile from where I was Uh, taking part in a meeting between Vice President Biden and former Israeli President Pérez at the time. Uh, His death is an outrage and pains me deeply, as as it has ever since it occurred. Uh, Among other forms of incitement that we in the Obama administration raised uh, repeatedly with the Palestinian Authority uh, was this indefensible practice uh, of providing payments to Palestinians in prison for terrorist attacks uh, and to their families. Uh, it helps fuel waves of terrorist attacks that Israelis and, of course, also Americans like Taylor uh, have suffered from. Uh, and, indeed, uh, the way the payments are structured does incentivize worse crimes uh, by providing greater payments for longer, longer sentences. It's an abominable practice. President Abbas's defense of it is indefensible, and it needs to stop. So I commend Senator Graham and the committee for taking the lead on this uh, legislation uh, designed to bring about an end to those abhorrent payments and I think would be a fitting uh, tribute uh, to the life and service of Taylor Force. Uh, My colleague on the panel, Elliot Abrams, has written uh, about the need to change Palestinian political culture uh, so that it ends the glorification uh, and encouragement to violence uh, that occurs. That's a very uh, worthy goal. Uh, And so I think the questions before us as you all consider exactly how to craft the legislation Uh, is what's the most effective means of pursuing that goal, and how can it be pursued without harming other U.S. and Israeli interests or the well-being of innocent Palestinians. A related question is what's the value of the leverage uh, of our assistance programs? And indeed, uh, since two, fiscal year 2015, uh, Congress and uh, the Obama administration have already made reductions uh, on the basis of these payments, uh, uh, leading to a reduction of the overall assistance program from about $400 million to about $260 million. Uh, unfortunately, it has not had uh, the desired goal uh, of persuading President Boss to change the policy. Now, it's possible that a total cutoff of economic support funds uh, would do that. Uh, it's also possible it would lead him to dig in his heels. I, I don't know, and I think the moral point is very clear. Direct funds in the, in the cause of fungibility uh, means that we have an obligation either way. Uh, but there is a question about the leverage, uh, how much uh, we can use a legislation like this to leverage the change we seek, uh, and it may be that the threat of it uh, has greater leverage than the actual uh, cutoff itself. It's also worth bearing in mind the value uh, uh, and the purpose of our overall assistance program since the legislation is currently drafted would cut the entire uh, ESF budget for the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, Much of that assistance is in the form of projects uh, that support uh, investments in the West Bank economy which improve the quality of life for Palestinians and help generate private sector activity which helps keep the West Bank stable. And while that's, of course, in the Palestinians' interest, uh, it may be even more in Israel's interest. And I say that because of the strong support these projects receive from the Israeli government and the IDF leadership. Every project is coordinated carefully with COGAT, the Israeli uh, coordinator for the government activities in the territories. All of its implementation is carried out under the rigorous oversight. And the reason is that stability in the West Bank serves Israel's security interests by dampening the atmosphere in which more Palestinians might be drawn to extremism. At least that is how the Israeli officials I worked with as ambassador explained it to me. And they even extended that logic to the solvency of the PA itself, which is not going to be affected by this legislation, but it could be affected by Israel's own measures. Uh, So despite years of complaints, justified ones, about Palestinian incitement, the Israeli government to this point has not cut off uh, the steps it takes to ensure that the Palestinian economy remains viable and that the Palestinian Authority remains functional, such as the transfer of the customs revenues it collects on on the PA's behalf. Now, the Israeli government can speak for itself, and there is legislation in the Knesset that is uh, advancing uh, that may touch on that issue, uh, and I, obviously they will com- convey their own views to the administration and Congress. All I'd add to that discussion is that uh, until I left government service about six months ago, the Israeli officers charged with maintaining security and stability in the West Bank were very clear with me that they did not welcome a sustained reduction of that type of project assistance to maintain stability uh, in the West Bank. Our assistance programs are also consistent with goals laid out by the Trump administration uh, as it's undertaken its initial forays into Middle East peacemaking. Uh, The President and his team have spoken consistently about the need for improved economic conditions for Palestinians in the West Bank. Uh, Those are a high priority under any scenario, uh, even as they also correctly seek to bring an end to Palestinian incitement and uh, payments to prisoners. The legislation also would touch our humanitarian assistance programs in Gaza, which are also strongly supported by the Israeli authorities. After every round of conflict in Gaza, the Israeli government has strongly supported a surge of U.S. assistance to provide uh, uh, aid and, uh, uh, and assistance to uh, thousands of homeless Palestinians in Gaza, including many children. Uh, and the United States has always responded with a bipartisan support. So uh, the legislation should advance. It should be targeted uh, to prevent the use of any funds, even through fungible means uh, of paying terrorists. Uh, But let me just offer a few uh, uh, ideas for the committee's consideration. One is forms of flexibility. The administration will, uh, in its time, uh, provide its own views on the legislation. But some form of flexibility in implementation, whether it's a national security interest waiver for some or part, uh, all or part of the uh, cutoff, uh, could provide the administration the ability to apply the tool with greater precision, uh, and to respond to either a breakthrough in talks or to a crisis such as another conflict in Gaza. Uh, additional targeting, rather than the current draft of the bill, which covers all of ESF uh, for the West Bank and Gaza, uh, and I think uh, Elliot Abrams and I are in close agreement uh, that uh, the money going directly into PA coffers, such as for or to cover their debts to electricity companies, uh, may be a better way uh, to target that uh, uh, target the cutoff. Another option would be to set the funds aside in an account, perhaps interest-bearing, perhaps not, but to make clear the money is available once the the changes to the Palestinian legal codes are made or set a date certain by which time uh, the cut will take take effect uh, if the uh, legal changes uh, do not occur. Create a limited window of time and a clear incentive for the Palestinian Authority to make these changes. Fourth, there are other forms of assistance uh, that... Perhaps the ESF money could be applied to that does not uh, in any way benefit the Palestinian Authority but may uh, advance some of our goals. One is the Conflict Management and Mitigation Program. For the last nine years, Congress has provided $10 million for grants to NGOs that do people-to-people programs between Israelis and Palestinians. And between different groups within those societies, they're very uh, impactful in breaking down barriers and and building bridges. Perhaps more ESF funds could be applied to those programs. And the second is uh, perhaps redirect ESF funds to a program designed to boost the Palestinian high-tech sector. Here I refer the committee to an article in the current uh, issue of Foreign Affairs magazine by Yadin Kaufman. It's called Startup Palestine how to start a West Bank tech boom. Uh, and the idea would be to uh, provide grants to Palestinian startups paired with uh, established U.S. partner companies uh, for R&D costs, uh, and it's modeled on the U.S.-Israel Bird Foundation, the Bi-national Israel Re- Research and Development Fund. The Palestinian high sector is a very moderate, very uh, productive sector of society, not uh, infected that we know of uh, by terrorism. And the last is to use other tools besides assistance, such as diplomatic leverage. Uh, The Palestinian leadership, I think, in many ways is more sensitive to its international reputation than to suspensions of aid. So Ambassador Haley, uh, who has been very outspoken at the United Nations, should raise this issue in the Security Council. Uh, European and Arab governments uh, should be uh, lobbied to raise the same concerns about prisoner payments in Ramallah so that the Palestinians are hearing a chorus of calls for change, not just American voices. The Quartet is a valuable vehicle to communicate those messages. And there's an upcoming meeting in September of the Ad Hoc Liaison Committee, the group of donors, uh, where this issue should be raised and other donors should be Uh, a courage to establish their expectations for an end to Palestinian payments to terrorists in prisons. I know the committee has always found bipartisan solutions to these types of problems, so I encourage you and commend you for taking up this issue uh, and find a way to stop these payments to terrorists while protecting uh, other U.S. and Israeli interests and supporting the Trump administration's peace efforts. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman.
0: Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Um, Just to set a a little context, uh, first of all, the payments that go to prisoners – are not all made to terrorists, obviously. So I, I think you know, people should understand, it's, we understand that there are gonna be welfare payments uh, to people who uh, are standard prisoners. The problem we have here is that there's an incentive program that has been passed into law, that's law, that pays people more for committing terrorism and the more heinous the crime, heinous the crime, the more they get paid for the longer for a longer period of time. And so that is the aspect that we're looking at. The way the grand bill was first crafted, it cut off all ESF payments um, and then gave a national security waiver. And so there's been some concerns that what you really would do is do nothing because the likelihood is an administration would use the waiver. And so you end up actually doing nothing to push back against this issue. And so we've talked with Senator Graham about doing exactly what you have said, and that is separating the two. Payments that go directly to the Palestinian Authority, we would cut off, period, no waiver. Cut off, period, no waiver. Uh, The payments that actually go to the Palestinian people that are there about humanitarian aid and those kinds of things, those would continue. And um, I think we'll reach agreement on the hospital issue. I think the fact is that that's the one exception that may should take place relative to the money that actually goes to the Palestinian Authority. Interestingly, interestingly, this would cut off $50 million a year to Israel. I think you all understand that, because we actually make debt payments... We give the money to the Palestinian Authority, and they give that money to Israel. Israel's very aware of that, by the way. And to my knowledge, and speaking directly uh, with their ambassador, um, they support the fact that they're going to be cut off from $50 million a year. So I think we're getting to a place, um, I hope, uh, and we've got some additional conversations to take place with Senator Graham, but I think we're getting to a place where we're gonna have a very effective piece of legislation and we've been working with Senator Cardin to get to that place. I guess my my question, and I'll stop, is I, I don't understand. This has been going on for a long time. Why did it take the death of Taylor Force to bring this issue to the forefront I don't understand why Israel hasn't taken action. Um, could you just give us some context as to why this would be going on this long? People would be aware that this was happening, and 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 I know, Elliot, you mentioned which y'all wish you wish you had done it under President Bush. Why is it just now that we're beginning to take action on this issue,
2: <clears throat> Mr. Chairman? I think there there was a lack of information and a lack of clarity. You ask me, did I know in 2002, for example, three, four, five, this was the setup? Uh, My answer would be I didn't. I think there's also more attention now than there's ever been to the glorification of terrorism in the Palestinian media and the naming, by the PA, the naming of schools and parks after murderers. Uh, So I think, you know, there's been a steady accretion of of, uh, attention. Some of the European countries, the British, for example have also stopped paying the PA directly in cash because they don't want the money used in this way. So we've been learning more, we've been paying more attention, and this terrible death of Taylor Force is what really got people to sit up, I think, and say, wait a minute, now we understand it and it's intolerable. Uh,
3: I'd obviously uh, agree with your observation that uh, it's uh, been going on for a long time but uh, has not received the attention uh, that it deserved. Uh, most of our discussions, in fact, of course, the committee and the Congress did respond to this by reducing, with the Obama administration's assistance, uh, uh, the overall assistance program uh, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a manner that was designed to be dollar for dollar uh, what was assessed to be the payments for these, uh, to these terrorists in prisons. Uh, so already there has been an adjustment to it. I have to say, most of our discussions with the Israeli government during my service as ambassador on the issue of incitement, and and it was raised frequently, actually we raised it with each other, uh, didn't deal precisely with this issue. I'm not saying it was never mentioned, but it wasn't the area of emphasis. The area of emphasis uh, was on messaging, on glorification, on naming schools and squares after terrorists, on the use of social media. Uh, And it may be because they too were struggling with how to uh, respond and try to end that form of incitement without... Uh, creating unintended consequences for the stability of the West Bank and, uh, and, and the Palestinian economy. Yeah.
0: Well, let me, and, and let me just close with this. I mean, there's been an evolution that's occurred, too, and Sander Gerber came to our office uh, and did an outstanding job just laying out the steps that have been taken. And I, I don't know if committee members haven't seen it, but what's happened through the years is that the Palestinians have continued to progress this language in such a way that it's made it clearly defined now that actually lays out the chart of how they're going to pay people who kill innocent civilians. And so I want to thank him for that. I want to thank both of you for your testimony, and I hope the committee
1: will take action on this very quickly. Senator Cardin. Mr. Chairman, I am convinced that we will take action and that we will come together on legislation. But we are here having a challenge, uh, and I think this is the finding moments for what this committee needs to do. Generally, we give pretty much a blank check to the administration on how they use uh, foreign assistance. There's $260 million appropriated. Those decisions are primarily made between the executive branch of our government. The Israeli government is very much involved in those decisions. And within certain categories, the money is allocated. So some of the money goes to Israeli creditors for fuel and energy. Some go to projects for schools within the Palestinian areas. Some go for hospitals in Israel. I mean, that, that, that's a, I mean as I understand it, there are hundreds of different projects that are funded out of that $260 million. The time has come, Mr. Chairman. We're going we're, we're to have to be much more prescriptive. I'm hearing that from the testimony here today. We're going to have to be very prescriptive question is, do we just want to make sure the $260 million goes to safe projects, such as hospitals and energy payments, or do we want to have the punitive impact of stopping monies going to the Palestinians with a carrot-stick approach, that that can be released if they give up their payments to to prisoners and terrorists? And I think we want to have a, a positive impact. So we're going to have to have some some real stick approach here, cutting funds in order for this to work, and we're going to have to take that responsibility as the authorizing committee as to how we draft that. It's not going to be easy, but and it's going to have to be in some cases rough justice because we're we're not going to be. As, I don't think we can name one hospital, but we may say hospitals are fine. We'll we'll have, we'll have to figure out how we how we uh, figure this out. The other point I would bring up: we shouldn't be surprised that. Mr. Abens, I think your comment about not knowing is we all were in that category. We sort of ignore that. We see textbooks that are in countries that we give significant financial assistance to that preach anti-Semitism, and we wonder why that leads to violence and leads to Uh, the situation where the Palestinian Authority now is sponsoring terrorism by giving these payments. So it's been a slippery slope. I'm a strong supporter of U.S. foreign assistance, and we need to have even more monies uh, in our foreign assistance budgets. But I am very much in support of this committee exercising our appropriate role to make sure that we don't allow any U.S. support to go to that type of, of, of conduct, whether it's the Palestinians on payments to prisoners and terrorists, or whether it's textbooks being printed in Egypt that are anti-Semitic. We should be much more directive to make sure that doesn't happen. And we can, I think, take that appropriate role. So I have two individuals who have served in the executive branch. Uh, what you're seen to be saying to us is that you want Congress to be more prescriptive. You want the this committee and Congress to say That the administration doesn't have discretion that could undermine our desire to make it clear that there will be a penalty if this if this practice continues. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yes, I think there's, you know, where you stand depends a little bit on where you sit on this question of uh, executive branch discretion, but um, there are too many there are too many incentives for any administration always to use discretion you give them to keep the money flowing. If you're serious about stopping it, you've got to stop it.
3: Uh, I propose a number of ways uh, that the committee and the Congress could be precise about how to use the tool. You could, have, uh, you could use the other alternative approach, which probably most executive branches will advocate for, can't speak for this one, which is to say, give us the authority, the waivers, let us decide how to be precise about it. Uh, but I have no problem uh, with the Congress being very prescriptive to say no U.S. funds can go into the coffers of the body that is paying uh, or even to pay its debts that is paying these prisoner payments that because of the issue of fungibility. Uh, and if you then uh, choose some of these other methods to be precise about what to cut but what also to allow to flow, to not per- allow
1: unintended consequences to occur, I think that's uh, e- just as effective. We might have to take it to the next step in saying what they need to do to get funds released, not what the administration can do but spell out in statute what is required for that type of flow of funds to continue.
3: I mean, I do think the clarity uh, of what's required to uh, change uh, the approach or to meet the requirements of the Congress is useful uh, because then there's an actual incentive structure built in to the legislation to get the result we want, which is to end those payments.
1: And I would put out, point out, as the chairman and I worked very hard on the Russia sanction bill uh, that passed overwhelmingly on the floor of the Senate, that bill is, very, is more prescriptive than we've been in the past on how we desire sanctions to be imposed for two reasons. One, to make it clear. And secondly, so there's no ambiguity in the administration of the the statute. I think we have to take a very similar approach as we deal with the Taylor Force law. Thank you.
0: Thank you. If I I could, uh, the most recent draft um, does explicitly what you just said, and that is it lays out that they have to repeal the law and stop making payments and then the money can flow. So they have to repeal the law that says they're going to pay terrorists and they have to stop making payments. So it's very prescriptive. And if I could, just as it relates to the committee, um, I think we've broken uh, new ground over the last several years over the Congressional Review issue. I'm a strong proponent of Congressional Review and us having a say, especially when it's going to affect in a significant way foreign policy. I had a member of the Banking Committee come up to me yesterday who's offering sanctions legislation on another matter, and, uh, and that's beginning to take hold in other committees where people realize that our ability to have an effect uh, on executive decisions is appropriate, and I just want to say to me that's a big win for, the, for America, a big win for the United States Senate, and I thank everybody for working with us in that way. With that, Senator Rubio, Thank you. Uh,
4: Mr. Chairman, uh, these so called welfare payments, do we know? And I think you've all described sort of a system where we're not rewarding specific acts and the amount of just welfare payments to help uh, people who are coming on tough times. Let me ask do we know of there are any such payments to the families of other deceased Palestinians who did not commit violent acts? Is, is, this, is any sort of funding provided? To families who have someone who has died, but not as a result of violent acts,
2: I'm not aware of any.
4: I, I don't know the, the answer to the question. And um, in 2015, the Congress directed the administration to deduct from our aid to the Palestinians uh, in relation to the terrorism-related payments. The provision in that 25th, uh, the provision in the Consolidated Appropriations Act reduces by the amount the Secretary of State determines is equivalent to the amount expended by the Palestinian Authority, the PLO, and any other successors, et cetera, et cetera. To the best of either of your knowledge, is this law being enforced?
3: Yes, uh, the law is being enforced. The Obama administration for fiscal year 2015 and 2016 did reduce uh, the assistance, and that largely accounts for the reduction from the $400 million to around the $260 million. Uh, almost all of it in the what is called the budget support category, which the only thing left I think in that category is the uh, debt payments to the electricity company and to the hospitals uh, around seventy million dollars so indeed it was it was done uh, there was a uh, I believe a classified report provide uh, provided to the Congress to explain the methodology uh, and the amount uh, by which uh, that reduction occurred.
4: Um. And just as far as the, the general relationship and our interaction, what's, and, I, and perhaps uh, you, Ambassador Shapiro, having recently you know served in the region, what's your assessment of how active uh, the United States has been in pressing the Palestinians to end the practice of paying prisoners and their families? Is this something that is being brought up as sort of a pro forma, we have to say it? Or, I mean, can you describe a little bit more in depth kind of the efforts that we've made in the past to drive this point, And and more importantly, um, whether, in fact, in your view, they actually believe that we would ever do more than what is happening now.
3: Sure. Uh, It has certainly been part of our discussion uh, with the Palestinians. The the broader issue of incitement, which includes other forms of encouragement or glorification uh, to violence, uh, has been a major part of that discussion, uh, raised in virtually every meeting that I'm aware of between uh, officials and the administration. I served, I'm sure, in the current one as well. The current administration has clearly, uh, at least according to reports, uh, elevated the issue of the prisoner payments uh, as well. But as I can tell you that as the administration was working to implement uh, that mandated reduction uh, in that sort of dollar-for-dollar approach uh, for prisoner payments, uh, a big part of that uh, preparation for the reduction involved conversations with the Palestinians' authority to tell them this was coming uh, and there was going to be a hit uh, unless they uh, did reduce or end those payments. Uh, and since they didn't, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the implementation of the reduction uh, occurred. So uh, the conversation has been going on for a long time. As I said, it encompasses other aspects of incitement, which I think got more emphasis uh, in the Israeli dialogue with us on incitement. Uh, But uh, as awareness has risen, uh, there's been more focus on this. Uh, Has it worked? Unfortunately, I don't think we can say it has achieved uh, the desired objective.
4: I I guess my my final point is, and it's not a policy proposal, because this is an issue we need to understand a little better, but both of you have said that it would be acceptable if this was just a system of welfare to help families who have a relative that's imprisoned. Uh, My question is, is that in and of itself not an incitement. So even if there's not a reward, per se, and it's an additional amount for an attack, if in fact you are considering uh, becoming involved in a terrorist act and you know that your family's gonna get taken care of if you do, even isn't a welfare system, even that in and of itself, an incentive to at least, maybe you won't have a windfall, but you most certainly would consider that as a factor in determining whether or not to go carry this out, knowing that your family's gonna be taken care of, in essence, a pension for terrorists, or at least for their families.
2: I think that's correct, Senator. I think people should be eligible for whatever general support may exist in the society Um, if a breadwinner is uh, taken out of the picture. But if there is anything extra, anything special for the family of someone who's committed acts of terror, it's a reward.
0: Thank
3: you, I agree with that.
0: Go ahead. Senator Menendez. Thank
5: you, Mr. Chairman, for holding this hearing and to our witnesses. The legislation we are considering today addresses a twisted and brutal policy that incentivizes violence that impacts our allies and our own American citizens and I appreciate Senator Graham has talked to me quite a bit about the legislation doing this on behalf of the family of Taylor Force who was a brave honorable young American whose life was stolen in the name of false martyrdom introducing the legislation to start what I hope will be uh, a ultimate meaningful result. It's outrageous and unconscionable that any government anywhere in the world in the 21st century would codify openly right into legislation incentives for harming and killing innocent civilians. Many of us have long been concerned about political leaders inciting violence against innocent civilians. But the detailed codification of providing financial assistance, not only to those who commit acts of violence and terror, but also provides payments to their families if they are convicted through due process, is much more than incitement. It is incentivizing. Incentivizing these heinous and brutal acts and law sends a clear message to the Palestinian population in general and to the world that the leadership of the PA values those who commit violence and encourages individuals to perpetuate it. This practice and the recent insistence of the Palestinian Authority leadership to publicly defend this atrocious system serves to indoctrinate Palestinian youth and teach them that pursuing so-called martyrdom is a valuable path forward for them and their families. Now, I know that over the past few years, the United States has tried to take measured steps to stop this practice. To that point, as some of my colleagues have pointed out, no direct dollars go to the Palestinian Authority. And therefore, the administration submits its budget request to Congress. By law, it reduces the amount of money that is ostensibly being spent on this program. And yet, Palestinian leadership seems unmoved, which leads me to my questions. Uh, Ambassador, and I appreciate your service uh, to our country. When you raise these issues with the Palestinian leadership, what was their response? What did you uh, get from them in terms of the actions that we took when no direct payments were taking place anymore? Uh, And what do do you believe will be necessary for us to do in order to get the Palestinian Authority to stop this practice both in law and in action?
3: Uh, Of course, in my role as ambassador to Israel, uh, the last five and a half years of the uh, Obama administration, I didn't work directly uh, with the Palestinian Authority, so I won't be able to describe my own conversations with them. Um, I think uh, the frustration uh, we have had uh, throughout uh, the time we served and other administrations have had as well uh, has been uh, a Palestinian leadership that uh, is captive to certain narratives uh, uh, in which martyrdom is glorified, is seen as something uh, that's essential to their national struggle, uh, and uh, where they don't put it in the same category uh, as incitement or incentivizing to violence as we do. Uh, and so there are various circumlocutions and various uh, excuses uh, that, that are given. Uh, some of it may have to do with simply uh, what they consider to be politically viable, some of it may be more ideological. Uh, regardless of the excuse, uh, it's an unacceptable phenomenon, uh, as we've told them many times, and as we now demonstrate in the reductions. And as you're considering, so what?
5: What do you think is yeah. necessary? And I actually posed the question to both: of What is necessary to move them away from this type of action? Because I cannot imagine any place in the world, much less uh, in this particular c- circumstance, that we would permit. Yeah, and, or uh, allow as I mentioned, I, I,
3: I think they're, they're in some ways more uh, susceptible to concern about their international reputation. So there may be a kind of a name and shame uh, aspect of this. And to the degree that this legislation is crafted in a public debate uh, in which their legal codes, which have not been well understood, are exposed, I think that's actually quite useful. But it also shouldn't be only, and then we'll make the necessary adjustments to the programs. But I don't think it should only be a United States and only a congressional and only an assistance-based approach. It should be diplomatic. It should involve many other countries, those countries that sat with President Trump in Riyadh, those other donors from Europe and elsewhere uh, who also support uh, the Palestinian economy. Uh, The Palestinians should hear this. They should hear it publicly and privately from many, many other voices. And I think they may be more responsive to that. Mr. Abrams.
2: Well, I would agree with that. I think you do need to cut off some funds. I think the naming and shaming is important, and particularly coming from Europe and some European countries have begun to cut off at least budget support. Um, But I think what's really tragic here is the complete lack of leadership by President Abbas, who is defending these payments. I think he has an opportunity to explain this to the Palestinian people. uh, And he has instead uh, dug his heels in and is defending this system.
5: Well you cannot seek peace while you pay people to kill
6: Senator young Thank you mr. chairman I first <coughs> want to thank mr. force uh, for his presence here today so sorry for your family's loss and, and thank you for helping us draw attention uh, to this important issue sir um, thank you to our, our witnesses you know clearly you're both here in the spirit of, of, of recognizing that these uh, these terrorists payments uh, to, to murderous individuals by the Palestinians must end. You each have uh, different approaches uh, to affecting to this change. But Ambassador Shapiro, in your prepared testimony, you suggest that a number of diplomatic steps could be taken at the UN to persuade the Palestinians to end these terror payments. Uh, you mentioned that Ambassador Haley should bring this up uh, at the Security Council, uh, for starters. What other specific steps do you believe our mission at the U.N. should take to persuade the Palestinians, and do you believe those steps would be successful?
3: The U.N. is a difficult environment uh, to raise this issue. I'm well aware of that, Uh, and I commend Ambassador Haley for already being very forthright uh, in calling attention uh, to uh, incitement and incentivizing of terrorist attacks. She will have opportunities uh, to shape the debate uh, in the Security Council, uh, both by perhaps calling in uh, witnesses and experts uh, to brief on this issue so that some of these other governments are exposed to it. Uh, There will be the period when uh, the U.S. Uh, maintains the presidency of the Council and can, and can set the agenda. And there are the monthly uh, Middle East uh, discussions uh, at which she and she can encourage others uh, to raise this issue. Whether one could uh, do enough education uh, and overcome enough bias there to actually raise this to a level where you could get the Security Council to speak to the issue, which would be the most right. effective uh, statement or even a resolution in which the Security Council would actually Uh, echo what all of us are saying here, that this is an unacceptable practice. To me, that would be extremely, extremely uh, uh, impactful. Uh, Very difficult, but very important to try.
6: Thank you, sir. Mr. Abrams, uh, what's your assessment of of our prospects for success at the United Nations? If you could be concise uh, in, in addressing this issue through that forum.
2: I would agree with Ambassador Shapiro. I would add I think there's a lot that can be done privately, particularly focusing on the aid donors. There aren't a hundred of them. There are probably a dozen countries uh, that we could get to privately uh, and then get them to speak to the Palestinians.
6: Mm-hmm. Mr. Abrams, since we have uh, you and your, your expertise uh, here at the table, I, I would like to bring up an issue. It, it pertains to um, actually something brought up by the chairman earlier, of, of the importance of congressional review. Uh, and uh, increasing importance of, of that by this committee. Um, have you had a chance to review the National Diplomacy and Development Strategy legislation, S 1228, that I and Senator Shaheen have introduced, sir? I have. And um, what are your thoughts about this le- legislation, which I should say uh, <laughs> Chairman Corker and Ranking Member Cardin uh, have included in the FY18 Authorities Bill, uh, to uh, my pleasure?
2: I'm very supportive. I thought it was very interesting because we have a lot of requirements to think about the goals, the objectives of American policy. We don't very often match the capabilities with the goals. We don't get analysis and reporting on, well, how how are you going to get there? Do you have the tools that you need to get there? Does the State Department have the tools and AID? So I thought it was um, a really helpful addition. Uh, It's an assignment to the executive branch that I think they should be undertaking. Yeah, you know, existing authorities
6: require state to produce a, a, a strategic plan. And uh, I think there are probably a number of members of the committee and, and their professional staff that aren't even aware this exists. Um, it's, it's a good attempt to produce what Congress asked of the administration, which is a, a list of goals. But it doesn't match uh, your, your ways and your means. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also unclassified. And uh, if we're really going to dig into uh, strategy, uh, the, the, the strategy of, of our diplomacy and, and our aid deployment and, and so forth, um, we also need to have a classified
2: version of this. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? I do. And I, I think, as you say, the ways and means are the capabilities. Uh, in a classified version, uh, it's something that isn't done often enough. What about uh, integration
6: with uh, other departments? Uh, we have a national, we have a military strategy. Uh, Treasury has its own version. All subsets of your national security strategy is it important for this document to be integrated and coordinated with those uh, other uh, strategic efforts?
2: It is. Uh, I think you know, we all know that we need to avoid stovepiping and just thinking about what can state do, uh, what can uh, AID do, but we. We don't see enough of it, and the encouragement to do that, I think, is very valuable.
6: Well, thank you for adding your sanction to it. Uh, You join uh, National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley and and Madeline Albright and and other luminaries in your field, so I I yield back. Senator Shaheen.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you both very much for being here to testify. Mr. Force, thank you for um, being everything you're doing behind this legislation The idea that a state authority would support and actually incentivize terrorism is important. And we need to really galvanize the international community, not just on this issue, but in so many other ways. And I I wanted to address the Arab world because that, it seems to me, provides... The best opportunity to um, to pressure the Palestinian Authority. Can can you speak? Both of you speak to how we can better um, encourage the Arab world to stop supporting terrorism and to um, to help us as we try and. Um, address this not just with the Palestinian Authority but in other parts of the Middle East and Asia in particular.
3: You know I think President Trump created a solid foundation to make that effort uh, with the summit he convened in Riyadh, which if I'm not mistaken, President Abbas attended. Uh, and at that summit, uh, many, many Arab leaders, other Muslim nations, uh, pledge themselves to combat terrorism and the funding of terrorism and any sort of uh, the propaganda and, and incitement that goes behind it as well. Uh, some of them have work to do at home. Some of them are, uh, have work to do in, in, in neighboring countries or in Syria and other venues. Uh, somehow, uh, too often, uh, the Palestinians are not put in that category, and they get a buy uh, on the issue of terrorism. When, in fact, these nations, who uh, rightfully, uh, in their view, support Palestinian aspirations uh, for statehood, uh, could actually be extremely influential uh, if they were to break that taboo and say, in this case, we are going to say this Palestinian uh, activity, this incitement, this incentivizing is unacceptable. Uh, it would also be, I think, in keeping with the spirit of their uh, new, if still somewhat uh, nascent, uh, relations with Israel uh, to demonstrate to the Israeli public that they are willing Uh, to call out Palestinians uh, on this unacceptable activity.
7: And is there more that we can be doing to support the foundation that was laid at that... those meetings in Saudi Arabia?
3: Well, some of these nations are also donors uh, to the Palestinian Authority. They are certainly all uh, supporters of it diplomatically, uh, and they have their channels and they meet regularly with the President Abbas and other Palestinians. They have uh, many opportunities to express this in many ways through, through funding streams and through, uh, through, through diplomacy.
7: Right. I, I'm really asking what we can do here to try and continue to encourage them to, to make those views known. I would also
2: add, Senator, I think <clears throat> they need to be called out on what they're doing. I think it's useful for, the, frankly, the Saudis and Emiratis to be calling out the Cutteries. Last week in London, the Henry Jackson Society, named after a member of this body um, for whom I had the honor of working, Scoop Jackson, did a report on Saudi support for extremism in the UK. So there is a lot of, of work that all of these countries need to do to get out of the business of supporting Extremism that leads to terrorism
7: well you 're absolutely right saudi 's efforts in Indonesia, I think are another example that should be called out um, for their effort to move that country, which has been a moderate secular Muslim country in a different direction and we should point that out. let me ask I understand that there are two hundred and seventy retired Israeli generals who have expressed their opposition to this legislation can can you all speak to why they're opposed and what what they think and what Israel— I know you talked about the legislation in the Knesset, um, Mr. Shapiro. Can you talk about how we could better work with Israel to address this?
0: Sure. Can, can, can I, if I could, um, I think they're opposed to the legislation as it was and written. It's-
7: in the original yeah. form, and, yeah, and I It's going to change,
0: that. and I think that their, obje- if I could, I think their objections would then be overcome, but anyway, go ahead.
7: Right. My question really isn't about their objections as much as it is about how we can work with Israel um, to better coordinate efforts to try and address the fundamental issue here.
3: Right. I think there uh, was indeed uh, – there is a debate uh, within that uh, community of retired uh, uh, security officers. Uh, some expressed themselves. Uh, there are others, including at the institution I work at, who have expressed themselves in another view. In any case, they're all responding to the original draft of the legislation, right. which is now going through its various amendment process. Uh, you know, I think – My experience working with the Israeli government and the Israeli military uh, leads me to believe that uh, they will be very supportive of anything and any leverage and any uh, uh, pressure we can use uh, to encourage the Palestinian Authority to end these payments. And at the same time, they want to ensure that uh, U.S. assistance and other uh, international assistance uh, can continue in the way that it uh, provides stability in the West Bank, Uh, provides a private sector uh, activity that can draw Palestinians out of terrorism and into something more productive that deals with the humanitarian uh, challenges in Gaza. So I think they very much want to see that happen. I, I mentioned a couple of other uh, funding streams, the conflict management and mitigation programs right. uh, and a, a program to boost the Palestinian high-tech sector, which would uh, not touch the Palestinian Authority at all, but in fact strengthen the very sectors of society uh, that are uh, most open to uh, people-to-people connections and, and, and nonviolent uh, uh, activity.
7: Well, thank you both very much. You've been very helpful.
0: Before turning to Senator Paul... Um, Your comment about terrorism, Um, I was really disappointed to see what Saudi Arabia did after having a great summit and uh, bringing everybody together. Um, I think this quite possibly is a rookie mistake by a crown prince, um, who I think could be the future for Saudi Arabia. I I think his views are, I just think maybe this was a rookie mistake. But I would just encourage all committee members to go down to the skiff, um, the amount of support for terrorism by Saudi Arabia dwarfs what Qatar is doing, dwarfs. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to call all of them out, Bahrain, UAE, uh, all of these countries that support terrorism. So I think the outcome could be something positive, but, again, probably a rookie mistake. I'm, Senator yeah, Paul, oh, Senator, excuse me, Senator Risch. Thank you.
8: Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll, uh, I'm will i going to be brief. I'm going to take the full five minutes. Uh, I, I guess... Uh, 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 count me as a little further down the road than, uh, than a lot of people here I you know this, to me this uh, legislation is an absolute no-brainer uh, I, I'd go much further than this Th- this thing's been going on for decades and decades and I I don't know how you explain to the American people that we're paying utility bills for people in the West Bank when people in America can't pay the utility bills. so what are we getting for it? We're we're getting nothing for it, other than uh, business as usual. And we all sit around and we talk and we have meetings and we have peace process. Nothing changes. And uh, and so, you know, as long as as uh, Americans are uh, willing to write checks over there for those people, things aren't going to change. So I guess I'd go I, I'd go quite a bit further than that. And I know there'll be a lot of resistance that say, no, we have to keep these people happy. Well. Uh, look, this is this is very, very difficult to explain to the American people why we're doing this. Um Mr. Abrams, I, I want to commend you uh, for pointing out what I think is the, is the root of the problem. And uh, that is, I think Americans would be aghast if they saw it, what was being taught to little kids in the schools uh, uh, in, uh, in either the West Bank or in Gaza. And again, we've already talked about how fungible money is. You can trace U.S. money right into these textbooks that are uh, teaching kids from the time that uh, they're born that uh, they their... Uh, ambition in life should be to kill somebody that's innocent but thinks differently than they do. Uh, I mean, unless there's a cultural change, this that's been going on is going to continue to go on uh, for years to come. So uh, again, I, I think this is a no-brainer. I think it's a, it's a first start, and uh, count me as all in on it, but I think we've got to go further than this. Thank you for the time, Mr. Chairman. I yield back.
0: Thank you so much, and I apologize for overlooking you a moment ago. Not the
8: first time you've done it. <laughs> You're forgiven again.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. Senator, <laughs> Senator Markey. Markley.
9: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. The, uh, the funds, as I understand it, that we're, we're sending are currently administered all through the Israeli government. Is, is that correct?
3: No, I wouldn't say administered through the Israeli government. Uh, There are sort of two categories. Uh, There's the project assistance, uh, which the Israeli government, through its uh, uh, coordinator for government activities in the territories, Certainly, we coordinate with them. Uh, They uh, sign off on projects. Uh, They don't ever control the money. But before it goes to an NGO and the project, whether a hospital or a road or a water project, or humanitarian organizations in Gaza uh, uh, receive it, uh, they have already uh, given their assent to it. And the other is the uh, support for Palestinian Authority payments to the Israeli electric company or to uh, to the hospitals. Uh, so in neither case, I think, does Israeli, Israel control that money? But in all cases, it's it's been sort of coordinated with
9: them. Okay, coordinated. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Shapiro, you, you mentioned that one of the things we could do is send our money to other purposes, uh, to people-to-people NGOs or to development of the high-tech sector. Uh, Mr. Abrams, could you weigh in on whether you consider that to be a, a productive way to... Uh, change the dynamic?
2: I think I <clears throat> would disagree with uh, my friend, uh, because then you're not cutting anything. And if the penalty for uh, spending money on, uh, to pay terrorists is, well, it goes from box one to box two, that's not much of a penalty. I think Palestinians need to be told, this has got to stop. So simply transferring money from one program to another, I think not enough.
9: So I might just uh, explore this a little bit, uh, because there are things that, that are box one and box two within the Palestinian government, but then there's things outside of those boxes, uh, such as uh, helping private business prosper, which in, increases employment. Uh, unemployment is is very high; it's a it's a big challenge in the in the West Bank. And Mr. Shapiro, if I understood your suggestion right, it wasn't to go to box one to box two inside the things that are funded by the Palestinian government, but to go outside of those boxes. Did I, did I catch that correctly?
3: Yeah, that was my thought, that uh, if money will be cut uh, from the Palestinian uh, ESF account, uh, then there might be other productive uses for that money. It wouldn't be, in either of the recommendations I made, under the control or even with any sort of a coordination or sign-off from the Palestinian Authority, or wouldn't need to be, uh, and so it was simply an opportunity that might be representing if some money is freed up uh, because cuts are made, uh, there may be a way to use that money uh, in uh, a different stream, uh, but that actually reinforces the very goals we're trying to achieve, strengthening uh, the stability and the moderate elements and the economy uh, of, uh, uh, of a more peaceful uh, Palestinian community.
9: Yeah, uh, I believe I read that there were a large group of Israeli former Israeli generals Uh, who have cautioned us to be careful about not making the situation situation worse and therefore ending up having more Israelis killed. Could one of you expand on that viewpoint?
2: Can I just say uh, uh, that was an organized letter. Um, There have been counter letters. For example, a former defense minister and IDF chief of staff, uh, Moshe Alon, and General Amos Yadlin, former head of military intelligence, who was the president of the Institute for National Security Studies have both said they favor uh, the legislation, uh, in its, actually in its original form. They haven't seen the amendments that were made uh, just now or proposed just now. So um, I think uh, Israeli generals are divided on this. Um, they don't want to see chaos in the West Bank. None of us want to see that. Um, but uh, this practice has got to be stopped.
9: I think everyone shares that view, but that's why I'm trying to get the viewpoint of both groups of generals. Mr. Shapiro?
3: I think that's accurate. Uh, uh, There is that debate within the community, uh, and indeed, people I work with at my institute uh, have supported the legislation. A different group has expressed some concerns about it. Uh, I think what's common to them uh, is a desire to see uh, an end to any uh, support uh, given to terrorists, uh, any incentivizing, any incitement, any payments to terrorists or their families. Uh, and a desire to see a continuation of programs that are actually effective uh, in uh, making a more stable environment because that's very much an Israeli security interest.
9: Well, thank you both for bringing your extensive experience to bear on how we address this really important problem. Appreciate it.
10: I want to thank the chairman for having this committee as hearing on the subject. As, As you'll recall, in 2014, I brought this subject up. Uh, in Senate Bill 2265 where I offered uh, a bill that would have cut off aid to the Palestinian Authority unless they were to uh, renounce all ties to terrorism and payments such as these. Uh, The chairman blocked me at the time uh, from bringing it forward in the full House or the full Senate uh, but said it would be a good committee hearing. And so I'm glad we are having a committee hearing on the subject. Not my bill, but uh, the subject, and I'm supportive of the subject. I think, though, that... um, I tend to agree with Senator Risch in the sense that, you know, you beat around the edges and say how much we love Palestinian Authority for all these other things. We have to have for stability. We're going to cut some a little bit here, maybe. And people are worried, oh, gosh, if we cut any of their money, they'll be mad. (laughs) You know, people sense weakness and, you know, cut it all. Cut every last penny of it. If you want to restart some of it, restart it when they change their behavior. That would be the strength that actually would show something. But nibbling around the edges, they sense your weakness, and they will continue to do it. They've been doing it forever. But I guess the thing that really galls me is uh, from uh, Ambassador Shapiro's uh, testimony that the Knesset is considering withholding tax revenue commensurate with the prisoners' payments, although it's far from clear that it will reach final passage. If the Knesset can't even withhold the tax money, some amount of money equivalent – to what the payments are, my goodness, what kind of message are we sending? So if we've got a message, if the Knesset's listening to us, for goodness sakes, you've gotta do at least that first step if you object to people paying the families of people who are killing innocent citizens. So, um, you know, both sides need to act, we need to do more. And uh, i do all of it, and then i dial some of it back, would be my personal opinion, if you get a change in behavior. But if you nickel and dime it and do it a little bit at a time, my prediction is you'll get the same behavior you've gotten for years. Thank you, Mr. Okay. Chairman.
0: Thank you, I appreciate you bringing up the fact, number one, that you've been pushing this for some time. Uh, please remember, also, the reason I posed bringing it to the floor at that time was the Israeli government, who it, it is we're trying to help here, was strongly opposed to what which is said. still
10: a great irony when the <laughs> Israeli government is the big supporter of Palestinian authority aid that to me you know shows also why you continue to have terrorism and you keep funding people who commit terrorism on you'll get more of it yeah
0: but you know what i think would be good even though i know you've you've given up your time could you explain a little bit why the Knesset is having difficulties they they do collect the tax payments from Palestinians um, and they could in fact Hold those. That would be uh, maybe a violation of law. I'm not sure, but I think it is. But let's talk a little bit about that just to, to tease out some understanding. I'm going to use a little bit of his time for you to do that.
2: <laughs> could, could I, <clears throat> in response to that, make a more general point? Because you could ask the same question about us. Why has it taken until July of 2017 for us to face this? And I think in a very uh, odd way, it's the peace process Whenever this is raised, the answer always is, well, wait a minute, we're negotiating. Don't upset the apple cart. Don't hurt the Palestinian Authority now. And now it can be 2,000, and it can be President Clinton, it can be President Obama, it can be President Bush. But that's what you keep hearing. Well, don't wait. Just wait on that because these negotiations are underway. And then 30 years goes by, nothing has changed, and these practices are still in place. So that's why I think it's so important that legislation just pass now, regardless of, frankly, um, what the Palestinian Authority does or the Knesset does uh, or the administration does.
0: But, but why doesn't – why isn't the – here they are, they're cheering us on, and I think we're going to pass a bill, and I'm all for it, okay? But, but they should be doing more themselves. Talk to us just a moment about the internal issues there.
3: Well, this came up a number of times during my service where uh, at various times, I believe the most recent one was after uh, the Palestinians joined the Rome uh, Treaty uh, of the ICC, uh, and Israel did suspend at that time the transfer of these customs revenues that it collects uh, under the Paris Protocol. This is the Uh, agreement that governs relations, economic relations between Israel and the Palestinian Authority, dating to the 1990s. And as a form of frustration, to express frustration and outrage, they uh, withheld those those customs revenues. And uh, there were a couple of other occasions when that happened. And always within a month or two, at most three, uh, eventually they relented. Uh, and they transfer those. Now, those funds, far more than uh, U.S. assistance, actually represents the the bulk of the Palestinian budget, something on the order of 60 percent of the Palestinian budget comes from those revenues. So they have identified, the Israelis, a a risk that a significant uh, cutoff or suspension of those uh, revenue transfers, besides being against agreements, might actually put the Palestinian Authority's very existence and, and solvency and, and stability at risk, and they have just genera- uh, come to the conclusion that their own security interests require uh, continuing to transfer those funds. Now, as the issue of the Palestinian legal codes... Uh, permitting these payments to terrorist prisoners uh, have, has become clearer. I think members of Knesset have uh, increasingly gotten activated on it. There is legislation moving. I don't know that, that uh, we know the exact uh, view of the, of the government about that legislation, and so I don't think we can predict the outcome. But like this body, it is it is getting more focus and, and, and getting more attention. But I think it it runs up against that uh, that dilemma of if the, there's a significant interruption of those uh, of those uh, revenue transfers, would the Palestinian Authority
11: continue to be able to be stable?
0: Would you like to use any more of your time? Thank you, Senator Coons.
11: Thank you, Chairman Corker and Ranking Member Cardin. Thank you for convening this important hearing uh, on such a. a pressing um, and um, important matter. Uh, And I'm grateful uh, to Senator Graham of South Carolina for introducing this legislation um, and to Stuart Force and to your wife, Robbie, and I understand your sister Kristen is watching as well. Um, I just want to also extend my heartfelt sympathy to you. Uh, My gratitude for your son who represented the very best of America, um, who in 28 years achieved a great deal um, graduating from West Point, serving honorably in the Army, someone filled with promise, uh, and the idea that his life was not just um, horrifically, tragically cut short, but that there would be some incentive, incitement, reward for that behavior uh, is the sort of despicable practice that we're all gathered here um, to make sure we can put an end to in his honor. So thank you for the witness you've provided uh, to all of us to, uh, to motivate us to act in response to um, the best of what your son represented. Um, And to our two witnesses, I've um, appreciated uh, knowing both of you, working with you for some time. So let me just ask two quick questions, if I might. Um, Should we be concerned um, that the bill, as currently written, would prevent us from providing humanitarian aid uh, to uh, the Palestinian community broadly, and in particular Gaza, should there be another outbreak of violence? You referenced it in your opening, but I'd be interested in what you think about the value of figuring out a way in the ultimate bill for there to be an avenue for humanitarian relief.
12: Sure. Uh,
3: I think that's one of the reasons I I would recommend finding a means of flexibility, which sounds like it's uh, underway already in the internal discussions here, uh, because that that kind of uh, uh, event uh, often uh, requires a response, and that has been true after the last three wars in Gaza. Uh, at those times, uh, the United States had strong bipartisan support, had strong Israeli government support, uh, led international efforts to provide relief to uh, Palestinians who were suffering uh, because of the conflict, also because of Hamas's terrorist rule that they live under. Uh, and so, uh, if uh, legislation uh, to uh, which I support uh, to cut off Uh, any funds that could possibly support uh, or even fungibility uh, understandings, uh, uh, payments to terrorists, uh, would also prevent us from responding to a crisis like that, uh, which in no way would support those terrorist payments. I think finding a means, whether it's a waiver or some other means uh, of of, uh, providing that flexibility, would be in our interest.
2: I would be careful, though, Senator. Um, I would specify what crisis means. I think if you say to the average Palestinian... <clears throat> because of these payments, <clears throat> pardon me, money is going to be taken from the PA and put into programs, a lot of Palestinians would say, great, because the PA is corrupt. We have a new opinion polls on this. The, the average Palestinian thinks the PA is very corrupt. So do we. Um, so that, But that's not any form of change or punishment. And something has to change or they're going to continue these practices.
11: So you, Mr. Abrams, might suggest some... Um, um, Threshold requirements for a finding um, that this is extraordinary circumstances. Yes. A, and, and part of uh, my goal in, in talking about trying to focus on humanitarian relief is to distinguish between these despicable practices um, that are in law, that are funded by the PA, and um, the deep needs of the Palestinian people um, to the extent we can find a way to distinguish them. One other question, if I might. Uh, The Taylor Force Act is drafted to just uh, target economic assistance funding, not security cooperation funds, if I understand correctly. Um, But some experts have raised the concern um, that it would be politically difficult for the PA to continue supporting security cooperation with the U.S. and Israel if all non-security funding is cut. Um, And as you know, Israeli-Palestinian security cooperation is one of the only current bright spots and has improved uh, considerably over recent years. How do you assess the likelihood Um, that U.S. security assistance programming and this valuable Israeli-Palestinian security cooperation would continue on its current positive trajectory if the U.S. cut its entire economic assistance program or cut it
2: generally? I'm disinclined to believe that the Palestinians would walk away from security assistance. Security assistance, among other things, pays a lot of salaries of people with guns in the West Bank. I don't think President Abbas is going to just turn to those people and say you're not getting salaries anymore, because I've decided to say no.
3: Interesting. Uh, I I think our security assistance pays more for training than for salaries, uh, but obviously, again, in the fungibility argument, uh, it it does support that. It's clearly in the Palestinian Authority's interest uh, to continue, (coughs) that we continue that security assistance, which is not affected by the legislation as drafted. Uh, I think the likelihood is they would uh, would do so. uh, you raise a, I think, a, a, a concern that uh, has some, uh, al- at least, kernel of truth to it. That there's a political uh, uh, complication uh, for the Palestinian Authority to see uh, economic assistance cut, uh, and then only to accept uh, funds for the Palestinian security forces, which some Palestinians view as uh, supporting the, uh, the the Israeli uh, security more than their own. Uh, I don't think that's a good enough reason not to do it. If uh, that's the, those are the tools we have. Uh, to try to uh, get at the uh, uh, the, uh, the the terrorist payments.
11: Well, I just want to thank you both uh, for your testimony and uh, to our chair and ranking for focusing us today on this um, long term, intractable, um, offensive practice of incentivizing uh, violence against uh, Israeli civilians, against um, Americans, uh, and against uh, others who are the targets of Palestinian. Um, action, um, and I think we we owe it uh, to the memory of Taylor Force and to so many others to find a way in a bipartisan basis to craft a solution that is workable and that will make a difference. Thank you.
0: If I could, before turning to Senator Kane, I know you've got judiciary hearings and appropriation hearings, but there's been some modifications we've discussed to separate Mm -hmm. out the monies that go directly to the PA and support the government from that that goes to support the the Palestinian people. And I think uh, we're getting to to a really good place. Senator King.
13: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to the witnesses. And Mr. Force, Uh, thank you for sharing this very, very painful part of your family's life. Uh, And I honor your son's memory, but also sharing it in a way that some good may come out of it in the future. appreciate you being here. Um, my interest in this legislation, I'm very interested in the amendments that are being proposed, is wanting to stop a despicable practice but wanting to do it in a way that it does not impact important humanitarian goals. And I know the chair and ranking share that does not impact security assistance. I think we all share that. And I, I applaud the Trump administration for trying to tackle the impossible of saying that the peace process is still something that they really want to go after. I. I think there would be every evidence-based reason to say, why would we want to tackle? But the fact that they are making that effort, I applaud it, and we wouldn't want to set that back. I, I just want to ask a question about one potential amendment that is hinted at, Mr. Shapiro, in your testimony, and that's the setting aside of funds. So instead of cutting off funds, you know, the, the lawyer in me, when I would work on deals, there would often be escrow. You know, you escrow things to encourage good behavior. I, w- I would think a one reaction on the Palestinian side would be, oh, you cut off funds for this reason. What's the likelihood that you're going to give these funds back? I think there would be some significant distrust in whether we would restart funds. However, if we can come up with the, the triggered behavior, we want to see this stop. We're not going to cut off the funds, but the funds will be escrowed, and the funds can only be released from escrow if – you take these steps if we can define it carefully enough, which I know this bill tries to do, then we could credibly say to them, "Look, this isn't about trying to separate us from providing legit security, economic humanitarian assistance to the Palestinians it's about you stopping behavior that we find offensive, and then they wouldn't have the argument that though the u s is just trying to abandon us um, and so i'm I'm kind of curious i don't know whether that is a mechanism that's worked in other Similar legislation, but I thought that on page five of your testimony. I thought that was an interesting Proposal and I would just sort of commend it I know to the chair and ranking as they're thinking about this bill thinking about amendments to it um, As an idea worth consideration and I would just like either of you to you know talk about that
2: concept just one comment Um, Of course if you pass this bill, you know tomorrow um, We're they've got till the end of the fiscal year So it is, in a certain sense, in escrow until July 1, 2018, anyway.
3: Uh, My thinking in including that proposal, among others, uh, was simply what's the most effective means of achieving the goal? Uh, And if there are means of acquiring leverage where we actually can withhold something, but also the leverage is that uh, when the uh, change is made, we can provide it. Uh, that's possible that that would incentivize the change that we're seeking from the Palestinian Authority. I don't know that it would. I think that would require, obviously, discussion among, uh, among members here, but also perhaps some diplomatic discussions with the Palestinians to understand how they'd react to that would actually help them. Uh, make the step we're trying to do, overcome some of their political obstacles? Would they react negatively to that and view that as a kind of coercive mechanism? <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't work, but I think it should, not, it should be on the menu uh, of elements of a le- piece of legislation that will provide us leverage to actually effectively achieve the goal that we're all trying to achieve.
13: And just conceptually, as I think about it, just you know, sitting here and listening to this testimony and reading it, you could escrow monies, you could give the administration the ability to release monies under certain circumstances, you know, that you could, you could use sort of an administrative waiver as part of monies being released from escrow if the administration thought, you know, that it was important to do that. So there are a couple of ways to come at it, but I wouldn't I – wouldn't, I, th- this should be to discourage and end bad, bad behavior. We wouldn't want it to be more broadly seen as an effort to withdraw – uh, our support for important goals that the administration shares with respect to Palestine. And there may be a way to use an escrow-type vehicle to do that. Um, just to, just offering that as a thought, I thought that was an intriguing recommendation. Thank you. Thank, thank
0: you. you. Thank you. Senator Murphy.
12: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, I, I look forward to working with the Chairman and the Ranking Member on coming up with a bill that can get consensus support on this uh, committee. And uh, I share the goal of the members of this uh, panel and of the leadership of this committee that we should take any and all steps necessary to stop this abhorrent practice. And this is just, I think, an exercise in trying to figure out how we get there. Um, so I guess I just have two, two questions. One is for you, uh, Mr. Abrams. You've, you've cautioned Congress in the past about the dangers of cutting off aid to the Palestinian Authority as a punishment for a policy that we object to. And there exists an array of policies that we
3: budget support. It's only to provide these uh, debt payments to the electricity company and the hospital. Uh, And so I think there is this uh, inherent dilemma uh, which the Israelis have struggled with. Uh, How do you gain leverage uh, over the Palestinians to get them to make some of the changes in their own behavior that we all desire, that we all believe are necessary, when at the same time you could put at risk some of the benefits of the stability and the uh, authority that the Palestinians have over cities that the Israelis don't want to control, don't want to occupy, don't want to be in. Uh, and uh, perhaps that has uh, been a created a kind of a, a sense of invulnerability uh, on behalf of the Palestinian leadership. But
12: just practically, if, if they don't cut off their funds, and we do, is that enough to create a change in behavior if the Israelis, if the Israelis don't create that firm conditionality?
3: Uh, it's very hard for me to predict exactly what would be the trigger uh, to change Palestinian behavior. I would like us to see, as I also mentioned in my, my, my testimony, uh, this not just to be an American uh, right. effort. If it's an American effort, it's easier to be dismissed as uh, Israel's best friend, as kind of a scold. Rather, if it's a, a broad international effort, uh, and, of course, Israel would be part of that, too, maybe with targeted cuts, maybe with, with holdings that could be released uh, when certain benchmarks are met. Uh, that, I think, would put the Palestinians in a different mindset uh, about how they are pursuing an indefensible policy, uh, and the world, their neighbor, uh, their various donors
0: uh, are calling them to end it.
1: Great. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Carden.: To Senator Murphy's point, the United States is looked upon globally as the leader on these types of issues. I think us taking action here could have a broader impact than just this one particular circumstance of payments to prisoners and terrorists. So I think it is a, a, a clear U.S. leadership by taking a very definitive action here that could very well help us the United Nations, could help us with other countries, and could help the Israelis in their messaging and cooperation with the Palestinians. So I think it is an important step. Uh, I just really wanted to comment, Mr. Chairman, and thank both of our witnesses. I, I think your testimony has been extremely helpful. As I think was clear prior to today's hearing, there has been lots of conversations as to how we can make this legislation more effective in accomplishing our objective of putting maximum pressure on the Palestinian Authority to change this policy. Uh, I want to thank the chairman. I want to thank Senator Graham for their Openness in uh, reaching out to to get legislation that can enjoy broad uh, consensus support in, in the United States Senate, and I think we're very close to achieving that. I would just ask our two witnesses to please feel comfortable to respond to legislation that will be coming out of this committee. We very much uh, value your input. I agree. We've uh, thank you both. Y'all
0: are both. Uh, outstanding public servants and continue to help us uh, with national security and foreign policy issues. We appreciate you being here and Senator Cardin, I've, we've already been talking with them about legislation and will continue to do so. Uh, Miss, Mr. Forrest, thank you so much for being here and for your continued efforts uh, to ensure that other young people don't uh, have the same fate of your outstanding son. Um, and with that, uh, if if you would respond to QFRs, which we'll keep open until the close of business on Friday as promptly as you can. Uh, my sense is we'll be moving uh, very soon on on this legislation and wouldn't be able to do so without the two of you being here. And, and, of course, Mr. Force, you continue to do what you're doing. So with that, thank you all, and the meeting is adjourned.